Job chapter number 1. And I'm going to read a verse as a way of introduction. You don't have to turn there. But James chapter 1 verse 3 reads like this. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. I'll read it one more time. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. With the help of God, I want to preach on this thought this morning on principles of testing. Principles of testing. And I'll be honest, I've told the Lord it's not a message that I wanted to preach. But I know that He does all things well. And so I'm going to believe that somebody this morning, the Lord can help myself and, and those as we sit under the preaching of the Word of God. The idea of testing has this meaning. It is the act of trying to prove. Trying to prove something. The, the Another word we use often is we use testing. We use the word trial. That word trial has the idea of temptation. It's a test of virtue. It's a state of being tried. And of course, as you and I know from the Word of God, one of the greatest human examples of being tested and tried was Job. I don't think anybody would disagree if you made a statement that nobody stood a test like Job did. Most anybody would acknowledge and say, absolutely, you've hit the nail right on the head. Um, some, some commentators would question if Job is a character, if he was a real man or just a character. I want to clear that up and say he's real. I want to say if he's in the Word of God, he's a real man, he had this real trial. Everything we read is unreal and unfathomable as it sounds, it happened. And that we can learn from a genuine man some principles that he put on display when he underwent a test. I think that God uses what I noted maybe as an extreme example. Listed down literally one after another as Job's life crashed and crumbled. So that you and I would know that in our times of testing and the things that you and I face in our day, God is able. That God is capable. God is willing. And God has a plan. And so I want to take today from Job and learn from what I would label one of the greatest times of testing for a human man, some principles to guide us. And we're going to do quite a bit of reading so you can stay seated. Um, but we'll pray and then we'll ask the Lord to help us here today. Father, I pray that You would help us in a very special way. God, I pray that You would get honor and glory from the service this morning. Lord, I pray that You would help us to be attentive to what You have to say. And Lord, I pray that You would bless this time. Amen. Number, the first principle I see is, number one, a principle of providence. A principle of providence. If Job chapter 1 verse 6, we'll begin reading. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? And there is none like him in the earth, a perfect man and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. 
I find it very interesting when we read that passage. As they, it says, Satan comes into the presence of God. Satan never once asked for a man to test and try that we read and understand here in the Word of God. But God offered Job. Satan said, I'm just walking to and fro. God said, have you considered my servant Job? He offered his servant. But I want you to know, so man, that just sounds terrible. I can't believe God would allow such evil upon His people. But I want you to understand there's a print, the, the principle of providence. The providential hand of God orchestrated what Job is about to endure and go through. I'm, I want you to notice in the truth and in the Word of God, He said Satan had to come into the presence of God. Satan didn't catch God off guard. God wasn't giving Satan an off-the-cuff answer or a, or, a, or a haphazard purpose or plan. Satan had literally submitted himself into the presence of God Almighty. And not only when, when the, uh, Satan literally, literally, and I, I think about this, Satan literally became a tool in the hand of God. Now we, we, we give Satan way too much credit. He was a tool in the hand of God. You, you notice... Satan cannot do anything that God is not allowed. In verse 21, Job makes reference. He says, The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. We know that God allowed it to happen. Now remember who was in the presence. And God told Satan, everything that he has is in your power. But notice who gets the glory on the inside. When he gets down to the end, Job wasn't saying, oh, the devil's just riding me and beating me up, and just, boy, God's going to do something good because the devil's trying. No, Job said, the Lord hath given, and the Lord hath taken away. And so even in the midst of Satan being a tool in the hand of God, God still gets the glory. God gets the glory for even the trying times that Job was about to go through. And might I say, we ought to be careful not to offer any of God's glory to Satan. Because if it wasn't for God, Satan wouldn't get to do anything. And when I say we ought to be careful that we don't get too high and mighty thinking we're something because God allows us to sing a song or, or preach a message or teach a Sunday school class or work on a bus or work in patch club because God used Satan too. And so we ought not be too flattered. God, if God will use Satan, He's using us. But we're still a nobody. And he's, an, he's everything. And He gets the glory. We'll be grateful that God uses us. Oh, and give God the glory. That's the principle of providence. That God orchestrates everything. In, behind the scenes, if you will. Number two, I believe there's the principle of possessions. Principle of possessions. If you look in verse 13 of Job chapter 1. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven, and have burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. 
While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped along to tell thee. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When we're in times of testing, not only must we understand the providential hand of God, but we've got to understand the principle of possession. I want you to notice as the servants and as these messengers came, and before we're too critical of Job, I want to remind you, it says, and as he was yet speaking, came another. All of this happened in a matter of a few minutes. There wasn't time, and it wasn't days, it was one after another. By the end of this, these messengers were in Job's home there telling him all of this at one time. It, It was... One hit in Job's life of everything. But I notice when Job, when the messengers came, notice their terminology. They said the oxen, the donkeys, the servants, the sheep, the camels. We own nothing. They didn't come in to Job and say, your donkeys, your camels, your servants. They said, the donkeys, the camels, they're dead, they're gone, they're taken, the sheep are gone, the sheep are gone. It was thee. I noticed Deuteronomy ten fourteen, as we understand this principle, we own nothing. Behold the heaven and the and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth also, with all that therein is. First Corinthians ten twenty six. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Job revealed his heart through his speech. When these messengers came, and let me, let me say this, when, when they came, when the messenger came to tell Job about his daughters, his sons and his daughters, they were referenced as his. Thy sons and thy daughters. The material type possessions, if you will, were referenced as just thee. A generic, these camels, these sheep. They weren't given ownership. In verse 20, Job references his mantle and he references his head. And he failed to worship. The things that Job labeled, and, and, and please follow me, the things that Job labeled as his were the things that he was worshiping with or worshiping for. Notice in Job 1.5, it was so in the days of their feasting were going about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This did Job continue. When Job is referencing... When Job is referencing the mind and he is claiming ownership, it's got to do with what he's worshiping about. When he said, I rent my mantle, he was falling to worship. When he said, I put ashes on my head, his head, he's falling to worship. When he said, my sons have sinned, he was worshiping and making a burnt sacrifice to God Almighty. They're worship. And you and I are worshiping the wrong things today. We, we struggle when God takes something out from us because we've laid ownership. We've got ownership to the material possessions, if you will. I know not many of us are going to have a camel in our, in our driveway, but we're going to have a car. And we're laying ownership to these things that God says, that's really mine. Don't forget the earth is the, is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. The items that were closest to the heart of Job, his family, and the worship of his God, they were labeled as his. So how in the world these servants came and they said, the camels, the sheep, the oxen, they're also, they're also the servants. 
Where did they learn to speak like that? Job. 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 I don't imagine that Job went around saying, listen, listen, take care of my oxen. Make sure my sheep are cared for. I wouldn't surprise me if Job didn't go and say, hey, servants, remember, you're the Lord's and you're taking care of His sheep, so make sure that you do that well. Hey, servants, those are... Those are, those are God's camels and you're His. And, and while I might oversee you, just be, be sure that you're giving Him your best. And so when the servants, the ones that escaped from the, the attacks and the robberies, if you will, and the, and the killings of the animals and those things, the ones that escaped, they said, you know what? Those were the Lord. So hey, hey Job, the camels are gone. These servants were killed. And I only am escaped to tell thee. The principle of possession... These, those servants had to have heard Job speak and reference. And Job referenced his children as his, and the servants said, Thy sons and thy daughters. Job survived the time of testing because he knew God had given him the things. Amen. Hey, I love the blessings of God, don't you? I love when God's been good and I love having vehicles and I love those things in the homes that God has blessed so many of us with. But we must remember those are His. That when we lay ownership, that's where the hurt comes from. If we don't own it and God chooses to take it, we didn't lose anything. It was His. Not only is there the principle of providence and the principle of possessions, I want to say there is a principle of people. Job chapter 2 verse 9. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. I believe that was probably one of the hardest moments in the trial for Job. One of the hardest times came when what you would say of his flesh said, why don't you just curse God and let's all die and get this over with and end this misery. There... There's a transition that happens in Job's life, and we'll talk about it a little later. But people will disappoint us. I imagine in that moment there was some disappointment in Job for him to tell his wife, you're speaking as a foolish woman. You're speaking, you're speaking as a foolish woman speaketh. And I imagine there was one of the hardest times for him. Now might I say, people are people. And the statement has often been made, hurting people hurt people. Somebody that's out to get you and hurt you and harm you, and and maybe that's your trial and your test that God has placed you in. Those people, there's something inside of them that's hurting, and they want somebody to have the misery. They don't want to do that by themselves. And this dear lady, we make it about Job, and the book is called Job, but his wife lost the same amount that Job lost. And so before we judge her, let's, let's extend grace. And as the weaker vessel, she was struggling. But I praise God, she had a a man of God in her life that took a stand and said, we're not going there. We're not going there. We're not giving that a place. Job, it said Job did did not sin with his lips. We cannot get our eyes on those around us during the trial and the test. And that's hard. That's so very hard. You... You look, the people didn't disappear when Job's trial went on. When the trial came, 
the servants are coming, telling them the bad news, just one right after another. You know, the, 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 the first servant that came to tell them about the first bad news, the other servants didn't slow down. They walk in, hey, i got something more important than that to tell you. And they're, they're overlapping each other. And Job's just, I can just imagine Job sitting back going, whoa. The, ser- the, the, the people will still be around. His wife, his friends. Can I say, people may mean well, but they won't always have the right words. And if you and I as God's people can accept that, we won't have to be more discouraged in our time of testing and say, you know, they meant well. You know, we look, and I believe that Job's friends, their original intent was good. Notice, because when they came, they sat seven days and nights without speaking because they saw his grief was very great. They sat seeing the, the turmoil that Job was in. They didn't start speaking until Job had his first dialogue, a verbal dialogue, if you will. Then they just felt the urge to speak up. The presence of his friends gave someone to hear his pain and his misery and his suffering. I'm not so sure, but perhaps when Job started speaking about what he was going through there in chapter number 3, I would imagine he probably wanted God to hear his heart. But they just happened to be there and they felt it was necessary to voice their opinion. And he just wanted God... Notice, I want you to notice there, when you, when you were following the story of the friends speaking to Job and Job's correspondence with them, it's about 34 chapters of discussion, back and forth. If you read the Bible, one of the friends talks, Job gives an answer. Friend talks, Job gives an answer. And some of their answers will go on for chapters. Long-winded. And they're giving those their opinions and their things. They're saying, well, you've sinned. or You shouldn't charge God that way. Your, your sons, evidently, they sin, And they're just giving all of this advice and this, if you will, unsolicited information. And they're creating a dialogue that takes about 34 chapters. But then when you get towards the end of the book, in chapter number 38, when God gets involved, when the dialogue becomes between Job and God, No longer is the dialogue and the communication between Job and his buddy sitting on the ash heap. His dialogue is between him and God. In about five chapters, this thing's wrapped up. Thirty-four chapters of back and forth and uh, hooing and hawing and trying to defend and explain. But when Job got with Jehovah God, he settled it and settled the account and made it right. If we'll get to God instead of people, our trials and our testing will be so much better and so much shorter lived as we see displayed here. Because can I tell you, the people around us, they have their trials too. What would it have been if Job had went to his wife and said, can you help me? She lost her kids too. She wouldn't have been worth helping. She wasn't able to offer any advice and help. What would it have been? The ones that were around trying to give advice, they're sitting on the same ash heap. They're not any levels or higher above. When Job got with God, the problem... It got wrapped up and got settled. May I say, principally, when we're talking with people, don't let people delay us getting to God. You know, the devil's the master of delaying us and preventing us from getting the help that we need. Can I tell you, don't let people delay you being in the house of God. Don't let people destroy, de- de- delay you being in Sunday school. Don't let people around you delay you getting on your knees and talking to God. Don't let people around you delay you getting into the Word of God and getting the truth that you need for that trial and that testing. Get to God. And God will settle it all. God must remain our focus. You and I have to recognize 
what is of God and from God. The principle of providence and possessions and people. I think there's a fourth principle we learn, and that's the principle of personal pity. I want to say Job was no doubt a great man. There's a book in the Bible after him. Someone that you and I can look to. Someone that you and I can draw strength from and and encouragement and, and experience. But we must realize that Job was a man and had the same fleshly troubles as you and I do. He had a time of personal pity. I want you to notice in Job chapter 1 verse 22 if you would. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. And then if you'll go into chapter number 2 verse 10. Now, at that point in 1 verse 22, he's lost everything of a possessional value and his children included. In all of this, Job charged not God foolishly. When we get into chapter 2, the devil has, re, has re, went back into the presence of the Lord and has been given the liberty to, to inflict pain. Job is now enduring a physical pain and ailment. Notice what he says. But he said unto him, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. Job just sinned. At the end of chapter 1, he hadn't sinned in all of this, period. In chapter 2, the Lord has to put, in all this, Job sinned not with his lips. On the inside, Job's having an inward battle. Job is struggling with some personal pity. So what's the importance of that? It's okay that you and I have that. It's alright sometimes that we struggle with what God's doing in our life. The personal pity... Job dealt with it. And in his heart, now he expressed some great wisdom. He held his lips. Yes. Yes. He held his lips. May I challenge us, sometimes we do well to hold our lips. It was personal pity, not a pity party. He wasn't inviting anybody to be a part. He wanted, in this time, the first couple chapters, it had been very personal between him and God. He did not Job sin with his lips. Job knew what it was to struggle with God. If you look in verse number 5 of chapter 1, And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Do you know why Job was fasting, or the, during that time was doing burnt? While they were at their feast, he was offering sacrifices and worshiping God on their behalf. And he knew that the potential for them to sin in their heart and curse God in their heart because he had done it. He was a human, just like everybody else, and he knew he had struggled with that, and he knew that his boys were struggling with it, and his and then well, not his daughters, his sons. He said his sons, and he knew the potential for them was there. So on their behalf, he was interfering, uh, interceding with God. He 
He knew what that was like. He had a sinful and corrupt nature just like everybody else. So we think about Job, and when the Bible says he was a perfect man, he was complete. He wasn't perfect in the term that you and I would, we would think of being flawless. He was just a complete man and a blessed man. I looked up and I was just interested in commentators. You know, there's a period and it says, thus did Job continually. Commentators reference that thus did Job continually reference back to the offering of sacrifices. And that's probably very accurate. But I really got thinking about that. And I'm gonna, my personal thought on that is, thus did Job continually was reference to the sin in the heart and the corruptness for this reason. Because the timing of the feast gave, it says, so when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning. It already establishes when Job was doing the burnt offering and when Job was interceding for his children. It was during the feast, the times of those feasts. And then at the very end when it says, they have sent, they, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts, period. Thus did Job continually. I think Job continually battled sin in his heart, just like you and I do. I think Job battled the struggles in our hearts just like you and I do. I think Job questioned God just like you and I do. And may I say, it's not wrong to ask God why. I remember as a young boy, my, one of our neighbors would say, y'all not ask God why. I'm a why. And uh, y'all not ask God why. Don't ask God why. You're questioning. But I want to say this. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? That was David. A man after God's own heart. In the book of Psalms saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then can I say Jesus on the cross. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabathani. That is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? If David, a man after God's own heart, and God's own Son, Jesus Christ, went to God and said, Why? I think God's going to be okay if we, as His Son, His children, go and say, God, why? Can I say it'll do us a lot more good to go to God and ask why than go and ask everybody else who doesn't know because they're not God? It'll do us a whole lot better if we'll get the principle down that God has got this. It is the the principle of personal pity. And may I say, Job, Job was able to overcome the time of testing and trial because he didn't do a lot of talking at this moment. He was settling some things between him and God, seven days. Seven days. And then number five and lastly, there's the principle of perfection or purification. Job 23.10 says this, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And we understand the purification process of gold. I've heard it in our church many, many times where the metal will be heated over and over and over and the imperfections and impurities will be scraped from the top and they'll continue to heat and they'll continue to heat and they'll continue to rake. And the moment when they can begin to see the reflection of the maker, of the goldsmith, that's when the purifying process is complete. And you and I, Judge Job said, he's going through, he'll come out as, as gold. He's going to come out purified in the process. Job 40, chapter 3, verse number 3. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? 
I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. And then in 42 verse 1, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. But now mine eye seeth thee, wherefore I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. Job realized that there was absolutely nothing hidden from God. Nothing. Not even his thoughts. Job realized that God could do everything. When Job came out of this thing at the end, he learned some valuable truths. But nothing. You know why we can talk to God? Because He already knows what's in your heart. And Job said, there's nothing hid from thee. Hey, there's, 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 there, everything is yours, God. Might I say in chapter 42, verse 12, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, and 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 she-donkeys. Job came out a better man because of this. I want to take you back all the way to chapter 1, verse 3. His substance also was 7,000 sheep, and 3,000 camels, and 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-donkeys, and a very great household. So that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. And then in the end, we just, we just read verse 12, uh, but then he, they, he got his daughters back. And in, the, in all the land were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. After this lived Job in 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. So Job died being old and full of days. So what in the world did Job gain by coming through this, ti- this trial and this testing and, and honoring the principles that God has ordained in His Word? What did Job gain? Did he gain his possession back? Absolutely. And double fold. Did he gain his family back? Yes. Did he become greater? Yes. But there's the greatest thing he gained from the testing was his influence. The Bible says he got to see his son his son's sons, even four generations. Because of Job's trial and Job's test, he gained influence where he wouldn't have had it before. He gained the influence for the generations after and was given a privilege to live out what he had earned. Job gained... You and I, the greatest gift you and I will gain is influence. You know somebody who helps you, who helps you when you're in a trial, when they've been in that trial before. Somebody that's, that's, that's lost a mother or a father. Somebody that comes up with their mom and dad standing beside and I know what you're going through. You say, no you don't. But when they can come up to you in tears and say, I lost my mom so many years ago and I'm praying for you and I love you. You know what? They've got an influence through the testing and through the trial that they're able to help that person in that moment. And so Job walked away perfected and purified by gaining that influence. May I say, testing is not anything that any of us desire. But if we follow the plan of God and what God has for us, we'll come out better for it. Amen. All stand correctly. Every head bowed and every eye